It is Super Bowl 58 Reaction Monday here on Offsides. Without Mark Ryan today, he is out. Don't know why. I reached out to him Saturday. No, yesterday, Sunday. I got the call Saturday. Hey, uh, we're, we're, we're pulling in the lefty. Need you off the bench. Come in and host the show for the week. I reached out to Mark to ask the question, like, hey, man, what's going on? Is everything okay? Are you good? And he says, yeah, I'm good. I'm just going to be dealing with a family issue next week. So whatever that family issue is, of course, we wish Mark Ryan the best. You could tweet at him and tell him to hurry back because I stink. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. No. Whatever you're doing, you're the man, at, least the you're, the legend. At, least, at least you're interacting with the show. You can tweet at me to tell me that I stink, and you can tweet at Mark Ryan to say, hurry back if that's what you want to do. But we are reacting to Super Bowl 58 and all of the uh, all of the accoutrement that went with it, the commercials, the halftime show, everything. Today is reaction day. Tomorrow is going to be a little more of an analysis day. So if you've got your analyses, I would love to hear them tomorrow on the show. Put that bullet in the holster and be ready to pull it out tomorrow. But as of right now, this is the segment that sweeps the upstate each and every day at this time. It is the roundabout Everything that we've talked about on the show thus far for the day, the five biggest sports stories you need to know about today. It is the top five and five, and that starts right now. Let's hit it. Number five on the top five at five. The commercials kind of left me underwhelmed this year. Like, you remember when... We used to all come together and want to watch the commercials. Well, all of these advertisers, in their infinite need to jump the gun and be first, they're all previewing the best ads before the Super Bowl. So it feels like we've already seen half of the commercials, and then we don't really need to pay attention to the rest, right? Like, if you go to a Super Bowl party, you're you're probably there with a bunch of people, and there's a bunch of talking and food, and you're kind of barely paying attention anyway. But it feels like, well, I've already seen that one, so I don't need to watch the next one either. So commercials have kind of ruined, these advertisers have kind of ruined half of the reason we all watched the Super Bowl. That being said, there were still some solid entries this year. So I'm going to rank my one through three commercials this year. And I guarantee you, anybody and everybody you ask is going to have a different one through three. And that's okay. You can all be wrong. I can be right. My number three was a State Farm commercial. Arnold can't say neighbor. Neighbor. Like a good neighbor. <laughs> State Farm is yeah. I think my Schwarzenegger is a little bit better than my walking, but not by yeah, much. Just a little. Not by much. <laughs> uh, just the fact that neighbor. they kept trying and trying and trying, and he couldn't do it. He's like, no, say neighbor. Neighbor. Remember he said yeah. labor for yeah. that one lady, too. <laughs> <laughs> She's in labor. Yeah, I, I love that commercial. Those are one of the ones that's like, it's funny. It's going to stick in your mind. I mean, I'm not going to get State Farm insurance because of it because I cannot be pandered to. I can, I, they, they, they can't plant that earwig in my ear. I will not buy State Farm insurance because of that. <laughs> but I can still have a positive opinion of what it is you do because that was a solid commercial. Number two on my list was walking with walking. Now, do you know what they were advertising in that commercial? So it was an Do you ele- remember? From the get-go, I thought it was something with BMW, but it was like a, it ended up being the um, – what is it, the the five series, all electric cars, what I think there it was. Go. Very good. 
See, that's the, that's a struggle with these advertisers. You know, they put so much into the creativity and the cleverness of the, of the spot that you sometimes forget what the commercial is for. And I didn't remember it until I looked it up this morning. I was like, oh, yeah, that was a BMW spot. That was a BMW spot. So there you go. I liked walking with walking. Everybody's got a walking. My walking is terrible. My Please Arnold again. is a little bit better. Please no, do a walking. Walking, walking. Let's see. Uh, see. It's hard to do now. It's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do when you get put on the spot. Uh, oh no, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not That's even going to try. It sucks so bad. My number one, and I love this commercial because this is the one I think that made me feel uncomfortable. It did. Yes. It made me feel really <laughs> weird about myself. The Michael Sarah Sarah V commercial. Stop trying to make nerdy dudes like Michael Sarah look sensual. Just the way they were saying it, it kind of made you feel really uncomfortable. It was like, yeah. I'm Sarah. It was a perfect, perfect commercial. How do you find a a a, a guy that he was he was all over the place in those nerdy comedies in the mid two thousands. Yeah, and then he kind of disappeared. Who just so happens to have the exact same last name as your product? How do you find that? I don't know. My chance. But shout out <laughs> to Sarah V, BMW, and State Farm for my one through three, my my favorite commercials this year. Next up, how'd you feel about the halftime show? Ooh. One through ten. Give it a one through ten score. I give it about a seven. A seven? Yes. Yeah, I feel that same way. I Usher is just kind of just kind of milk toast. Did you just know he's made a me? new album apparently too? Yeah. I mean, it, it was look, there was there were some big names in that halftime show. Usher, Lil John, Alicia Keys, Luda. Ludacris. Ah, frick, I almost forgot about Ludacris. Uh and then some guitar her. player named her. I didn't so, know who she was, but she was ripping. Her she's more of like a um she's like a, an African American rock star kind of thing. The way she has mixes her music, she puts both rock and rap into it together. She's pretty popular. Right on. But um she's also very popular in the um the liberal media side, unfortunately. So a lot of the yeah. things that she says and does and advertises and whatnot has gotten her in some trouble with some I- I like to. I, I try as hard as I can. We've we've lost our ability to do this in this country. I try as hard as I can to separate the art from the artist. Yeah. I didn't know anything about her personal politics. I just thought she was she was playing she a, a really good job. solo. But I saw a tweet immediately after that. I had to take the dog outside to go to the bathroom. I saw a tweet that said it feels nice to be in the generation that's now being pandered to mm-hmm. because I'm 39, about to be 40 here in a couple months. And they're finally bringing back all these artists to do the Super Bowl halftime show that are throwbacks to the good old days, to my generation. The '90s were the best. Yeah, music. they were a throwback to the late '90s, early 2000s. I mean, I guarantee you, I was hammered at a club <laughs> once or ten times trying to dance on some girl, listening to Usher's. Yeah. Well, you know what made me really happy to to also. Uh, point out things for the Super Bowl was is they represented the the A as we call it the city of Atlanta very well because every single artist except for her was generated in Atlanta. Right I'm on. so happy that we 
brought Atlanta. And, you know, um, there are some people say, why do you got to bring all of Atlanta's talents to Las Vegas to make them better? And I'm like, they're not making them better. They were already great as it was. There you go. And now look at it. They Texter were fantastic. Texter says, CeeLo also in the halftime show. Was that CeeLo? I didn't think that was. Are you sure, Texter, that that was CeeLo? I was curious as to who that was supposed that was to Jermaine, be. I know, I know Jermaine Dupree was there. With the, the one who was wearing the full headset, like the goggles over his eyes. That's Jermaine I Dupree. That was Jermaine Dupree. Yeah, that was okay. Jermaine Dupree. Excuse me. I, I missed that one. I didn't know that that one was Jermaine Dupree. Um, I, I thought it was okay. I, I thought it, like they he, he played some some hits from my from my youth. So for that reason, I thought it was solid. Still doesn't beat Dr. Dre two years ago no. in L.A. That one was by far the best one I've seen in a very, very long time. Sorry, old fogies. You're not <laughs> getting aging rock stars play the halftime show anymore because, well, they already have you. You got to understand, the Super Bowl halftime show is meant to bring in the wives and the daughters. They already have you. You're watching football. They've already got you. This is about tick- ticking off another demographic checkbox. And maybe you'll find a song or two that you know in these younger, younger, air quotes, air quotes. younger artists who they're now booking to do the halftime show. Plus, Usher, that was just a really safe halftime show. Next up, the brand new. NCAA AP rankings are out for this week. And looky, looky, who's sitting right there on the edge of a top 10 ranking? Wow. South Carolina coming in from unranked two weeks ago all the way up to number 11. Now, Mark bemoaned pretty heavily the fact that the net rankings and the Ken Palm rankings didn't have South Carolina very highly ranked and forgive me i don't know where south carolina sits right now in the ken palm i'm gonna look this up on the net rankings i'm sure they're not that far up above where they were before 45 so yeah they're not moving anywhere but the analytics are not super high on south carolina part of that i'm sure has to do with how they're beating teams like the the point differential and the fact that their key contributors are inconsistent night overnight. We're going to get to that. That is not necessarily a negative thing. Hang on, South Carolina fans. Keep your grenades in your pockets. But South Carolina is on a meteoric rise in the AP, sitting right now at number 11, up four spots from last week where they were number 15. Their upcoming opponent, the Auburn Tigers, sitting at 13. Man, South Carolina has got such an opportunity over the next couple of weeks to do some serious damage against teams who are sitting currently ranked in the AP or sitting as quad one potential games in the net rankings. You got five games in a row, not five, not five in a row, but excuse me, five games left on the schedule that very well could be quad one wins for you. You win all five. Wow. You're sitting in a fantastic spot. You win four of those. You win three of those. And don't get blown out in the other two. This this team is going to do some serious damage down the stretch. And they're going to be very highly uh, seeded come NCAA tournament time. So South Carolina basketball, you guys are on a roll right now. Any of you holdouts, you football first guys who are like, well, I don't know. I don't like basketball because of murder. Get on board. Get on board. Clemson's 57 votes in the AP poll. That puts them effectively at 31st. 
Clemson could win a couple more games in a row, get themselves back to ranked again before season's end. Next up, Kyle Shanahan. You, you know what? You let the dirty A word get you. You let analytics tell you what to do down the stretch. You didn't play from your crotch. You played from your head, and it cost you. Number 11? It cost you, yes. Kyle Shanahan here says that going forward on fourth down at OT was never really a possibility because the analytics told them not to. No, we never thought about their fourth and four. I mean, even if we do go and score, they still can go down and match it. And um, so, no, there wasn't a thought there. None of us have a ton of experience of it, but we went through all the analytics and talked with those guys, and we just thought it'd be better. We wanted the ball third. Um, if both teams matched and scored, we wanted to be the ones who had the chance to go win. And um, we got that field goal, so we knew we had to hold them to at least to a field goal. And if, if we did, then we thought it was in our hands after that. Twice. A Kyle Shanahan-led team has has given up a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Shoo! Kyle Shanahan, maybe down the stretch is not your strong suit. Uh, he, however, talks about here in clip number nine what it's like having to face those guys in the locker room uh, immediately following such a gut-wrenching defeat. I mean, we all hurt. I mean, everyone knows how it feels. And... Um, don't have a lot of words for it, but obviously we're hurting. Our team's hurting, but that's how it goes when you put yourself out there. I'm real proud of our guys for like, no regrets with our team. I thought our guys played so hard today. Not everything was perfect by no means, but um, I'm going to lose with a group of guys. Let's do with those guys anytime. And um, we'll take some time. We'll get over this and um, come back next year ready to go. Here's George Kittle in clip number 16 on dealing from dealing with that from the player side you train all season train all off season every day you put in for the work go to otas training camp you know just it's a long long season it's a long year and whatever week we're on what 27 something like that you know we've been playing football since late july and to come up short of a goal of a dream it's not fun look it's real easy sitting on a couch or sitting in a radio studio to say you know have some balls Go for it, Kyle. I mean, it's probably the smart thing to do to take the points in that situation. Sure. Because you think you're going to be able to stop them. You've done a fairly good job all game long for the first three quarters, at least, shutting down Patrick Mahomes. You made him look bad in the first half of that game. But, man, that stinks. That stinks to say analytics told us to do this, and we got burned. And finally... This is going to ruffle some feathers. I think Patrick Mahomes should go out in a blaze of glory. He's won two straight Super Bowls. Things are as good as they're going to get. He's got $70 million in the bank. Players left and right are retiring at younger and younger ages. And it's very possible that both his tight end and his head coach are going to retire this offseason. I don't think that's going to happen. I think two out of three come back. But, like I said, as younger and younger players are retiring from this league, and he is currently uh, very much undeniably solidified himself in that GOAT conversation, going out on top with your name as bright as it could possibly be, 
wouldn't necessarily be a dumb decision for Patrick Mahomes. Now, do I believe he's going to do that? No. Do I think that? No. I think he's going to go for the three-peat. And if he can somehow talk Travis Kelsey into coming back, let me rephrase that, if Taylor Swift will give Travis Kelsey permission to come back and play another year and Andy Reid comes back, I would obviously call him the odds-on favorites to go out and do it again. But depending on what other key pieces in his organization do, he could walk away. 28 years old, no terrible head injuries. You can still walk upright. You can go spend your $70 million in peace and happiness with your gorgeous wife and your two kids and live a great rest of your life. Somebody said I was dumb early in the show for suggesting that he should do that. Well, you're not out there putting your life on the line week in and week out. Texter also asked, well, if Mark Ryan and Mark Hendricks retired, would you retire too? Dude, I can't afford to retire. I don't have $70 million in the bank. Patrick Mahomes has $70 million in the bank. Will he retire? No, he's going to go out there. He's probably going to get another trophy, at least one, before he hangs it up. But it's not so crazy to suggest take your money, take your trophies, take being in the GOAT conversation, and have a great rest of your life. That wraps up the top five at five. When we come back, the losing quarterback in this year's Super Bowl had the second highest QBR in the Super Bowl of any Super Bowl quarterback in the last five years. We're going to talk about how just insane Brock Purdy played last night. Next on Offsides. It's Offsides. Mark Ryan and Diesel trying to grow our YouTube channel. If you haven't yet, Search for us on YouTube at the Fan Upstate. If you've got any Google account whatsoever, Gmail, uh, whatever else is out there with Google, you, you're automatically set up, ready to go. You just got to log in using that on YouTube. We are past the 550 subscriber mark. Uh, we're 450 away from being able to monetize this thing. But the question is, who gets that money? I haven't figured that part out yet. You do, sir. I should. <laughs> I very. I like the way you think. <laughs> I think I very well. If you guys want to help uh, your buddy Diesel get paid. All right, so before you go, go further. Go to the Fan Upstate on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, help us reach 1,000. We're, we're barreling towards it. Remember, folks, Diesel has 300 arms when he does the show. <laughs> when, it, when it's him and Mark, and, now he's even, and Diesel's even said, when you go on to other, if you look at other shows like the Jim Rome or Pat Mack or whatever, they really do have like six to ten more producers than just their producer. That's true. Diesel and Mark, it's just Diesel and Mark. So Diesel will tell you, we have six screens we have to be monitoring. We have to watch the phones, watch the board. Also make sure we're capturing quality moments. So y'all, Diesel, bust his rear end to do things so i will tell you this he's really worth a hundred million dollars he's not worth that 70 million do me a favor could you send mark hendricks an email telling him that i deserve that money if we get this channel monetized which i think we will i think that's going to be our 2024 goal 
is to reach a thousand subscribers on YouTube, at which point we can start monetizing this thing, start making some some fat cash. Some Benjamins. Some fat cash from that. So do me a favor and uh, and go hit that up. You can also find us at the Fan Upstate across all your favorite social medias. We are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we are all over the place. Wherever it is you like to get uh, your your social media content, go find us and give us a follow, a like, uh, a whatever they whatever it is on each platform. I got one for you, Diesel. Did you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> get them people crazy about you. Get that money in here, man. <laughs> Make good. it, folks. Very good. Uh, so so it's it sucks to be a losing quarterback in the Super Bowl. You never know if you're ever going to get back to that point. You never. Never know. And you also never know how great quarterbacks are going to perform, even in the Super Bowl. What blows me away is in a losing effort, Brock Purdy, based solely on QBR, played the second best Super Bowl of any quarterback, excuse me, third best quarterback, third third best Super Bowl of any quarterback over the past four years, and both times he lost out to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Brock Purdy, last night, 23 of 38, 255 yards and a touchdown QBR, 89.3. The hard part is when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes and he goes off for 34 of 46, 333 yards, two touchdowns, and a QBR of 99.3, playing virtually a perfect game for Brock Purdy. 100 is the best you can get in a QBR, and he had a 99.3 in that game. Brock Purdy, 89.3. Certainly didn't get it done at the biggest times when it really, really mattered. But our guy, Moral Oral, played about as good a game (laughs) as he could possibly play. Again, if you watch Adult Swim and you know who Moral Oral is, look up Brock Purdy, look at him side by side, and you say to yourself, that's the guy. That's who Brock Purdy could be. If he wanted to one-up Jason Kelsey and throw on the Moral Oral outfit for next year's Super Bowl. So I decided to go back and and do some looking around at Super Bowls uh, gone past last five years to see just how good of a game the losing quarterback Brock Purdy played last night. Last night was Super Bowl 58. Go back a year ago, Super Bowl 57, the losing quarterback Jalen Hurts had an 80.9, which is still pretty good which is still pretty good, but he lost that game to Patrick Mahomes. Go back a year prior to that, Super Bowl 56, Joe Burrow had a 45.7 QBR as a losing quarterback. The winner that year, Matt Stafford, had a 66.4. Didn't play a particularly great football game. Go back a year prior to that, Patrick Mahomes was the loser. That was Super Bowl 55, 42.2 for Pat, 76.7 for Tom Brady. So Brock Purdy played a much better game than Tom Brady did the last time Last time Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. And back to Super Bowl 54, the losing quarterback was Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a 42.6. Patrick Mahomes that year won it with a 63.5. So Brock Purdy played pretty damn well in last night's Super Bowl. Even well. in a losing effort, he played pretty damn well. It didn't help that Christian McCaffrey fumbled the ball in the first quarter when they were going down for sure points. That hurt them in a massive way that, you know, who knows if that's what ends up changing the game because with with Brock Purdy having essentially a 90 
and Patrick Mahomes having a 99 QBR in that game. These were two players who were pushing each other mm-hmm. to be better. It was weird. As Patrick Mahomes started heating up and started getting good there in the third and fourth quarters, Brock Purdy started heating up and hitting big passes. So these were two solid quarterbacks, really good quarterbacks, having great games, forcing each other to play better, drive after drive. So Brock Purdy, despite losing that game, despite what anybody says, Cam Newton, shut the hell up, had a fantastic game. By the way, let's look and see uh, what Cam Newton uh, did in his Super Bowl appearance. Super Bowl 50, Cam Newton lost that game. The Carolina Panthers played the Denver Broncos. Cam Newton had a 31.9 QBR in the Super Bowl. Cam Newton, you don't have a damn leg to stand on anymore. I'm sure you're going to go on your podcast and you're going to say that Brock Purdy, see, he's a game manager. He's not a game changer. And no, Brock Purdy didn't throw a game-winning touchdown in that game. But my dude, Brock Purdy, is way better than you, Cam Newton. Your bum ass wouldn't even jump on the football. Yeah, I'm sure Purdy would jump on the ball. Right. Uh, You wouldn't even jump on the ball in the Super Bowl, and you got your ass kicked by – a 90-year-old Peyton Manning whose, whose QBR was 8.6. Ugh. I looked this up twice. Eight, you had to double take, didn't you? Eight. Not 18, not 58, not 68, not 88. Eight. 8.6. You got beat by an by a, a, a glacial Peyton Manning who couldn't move, who couldn't turn his neck. He was like Christian Bale in the first Batman movie. He had to have Alfred redesign his his uh, armor so that he could turn his neck. Couldn't turn his neck. 8.6. You got beat by that, Cam Newton, so shut the hell up. Have you heard him say Brock Purdy's name? Brock Parody is what he says. Of course. And I'm like, dude, say the name's guy's name it's correctly. Damn, it's damn disrespectful, and he knows it. He's saying it wrong on purpose. You know how to say his name, Cam Newton. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Let's hear from Brock Purdy, as a matter of fact. Uh, Brock Purdy here in clip number 12 details the final play of the Niners overtime drive and what went wrong. I mean, they brought zero and was trying to get the ball to JJ. Um, that's what was hurting me. Just knowing that, yeah, we're going to execute the field goal, trusting Jake and all the guys on special teams, but, um, obviously their offense is, is really good. Mahomes is really good and you just don't want to give an opportunity, you know, um, go down and win the game off off touchdown so um when I wasn't able to connect with him it just it hurt yeah I, I understand why you take the points there you you want to you don't want to you got to put points on the board and you got to trust your defense so that the Chiefs couldn't move down and get it these guys were kicking ridiculously long field goals they 55 and 57 and yeah. 54 imagine being the the 49ers kicker setting a Super Bowl record and for the longest field goal, and then having it beat, beat you in the like same quarter later. The quarter, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, rough. they said that uh, all the Super Bowls uh, combined before this one, seven 50 yard field, 50 yarder or more field goals were ever taken. Yep. This one had three. It's insane. It's insane how good these kickers are. Obviously, being in an enclosed arena as they were, that certainly helps the kickers. There's no wind moving the ball. You know, those those are kicks that you obviously would not go for if you were playing outside somewhere if there was any wind whatsoever you wouldn't go for those kicks but uh you know it is what it is and and the the kickers were on display but you know i don't i'm I'm, if i were brought purdy i'm not putting my head down so he was pretty good at iowa state he was actually one of the better quarterbacks they've ever had and i don't know if you knew but the fact that iowa and iowa state are both represented on the 49ers is pretty impressive in george kittle brought purdy i think he's got 
loads of time coming for him. I think he's going to be at least winning the 49ers one, if not two, World uh, Super Bowls in his lifetime. Well, those are three three long kicks, three insanely long kicks that Mark Ryan says shouldn't count. Why? He doesn't like kickers. Oh. He doesn't like I mean, how many people can hit a 57-yard field goal in general? Right. It is a skill. Like, I've kicked field goals. I've tried. I didn't make any. Went down last year or the year before to uh, Clemson's media outing, mm-hmm. and they gave us the opportunity to kick field goals. Now, we didn't have any training. We didn't have a coach saying, hey, kick it with the side of your foot, kick it here, kick it there, here's what you need to do. You just got three chances to put the ball on a tee and give it, give it your best shot. Yeah. I didn't come close. I mean, like, I kicked it. I had some force behind it, but but it didn't go up. Kicking field goals is friggin' hard, okay? Kicking 50-yard field goals is ridiculous. So – that's one of Mark Ryan's dumb sports rules. Like, he doesn't want banked-in three-pointers either. He says if you bank in a three-pointer, it shouldn't count because you weren't trying to bank in a three-pointer. Mm. Well, you're trying to get the ball to go through the hoop, and the ball went through the hoop. What difference does it make how it got through the hoop? It just did. They, so, they interviewed Jay rule. Feely about this, too, and they said that does uh, the field goal kicker for both the 49ers and the Chiefs have the leg? He said one of the kickers at practice was uh, before game was hitting 70-yard field goals. Nuts. Who can do that? Yeah. The only kicker I know that has a remote close to it is Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, it's nuts. So, Mark Ryan, you're wrong on that situation, but he's going to argue that till he's blue in the face because <laughs> well, that's who he is. That's what he does. He also thinks that we should have a population cap in South Carolina and not let anyone else move here. So what are we going to do? Count people who die and then say every year we can let that many people in? I don't, I don't, I don't get that one. But anyway, uh, it was a fantastic football game. First three quarters, kind of duds, and then it turned good right there at the very end. Finally, we got a, we got a really a, a great barn burner Super Bowl, and you know, we, got, we, we got free football at the very end. So it was fantastic. When we come back, I'm going to second time for the day throw out something kind of crazy at you. And I want you to I want to see what you think. A big sweeping change to how we operate March Madness since that's now the next big event coming our way. That's next on Offsides. Without Mark Ryan with Diesel and Brandon on the Fan Up State. Eight four four fan phone. That's fan F O N E. Eight four four fan phone. Seven one three zero seven. Start your text with keyword fan. If you got something to say, love to hear from you. Texter here says uh, Cam Newton has done more in S career than you can have a dream of in yours. What? That hurt. As what's S career, dude? Get yourself right, man. Before you start texting to the show, he uh, he has done more in S career then you can have a dream of in yours. Uh, he also stole somebody's laptop and threw it out the window. I've never done that. So there, there's two things, uh, you know, playing in a Super Bowl and stealing somebody's laptop and throwing out the window, two things that Cam Newton has done that I never did, frankly. Moving on. Less than a month away now from the NCAA tournament. Man, this is like the calendar just keeps stacking up one after the other after the other. The NCAA tournament is on the way, and I think it's time that we revamp the NCAA tournament selection process to make this thing more inclusive to all conferences, giving them more opportunities to get more teams in. Look, they're going to expand this thing again. 
It's, it's, that's, that's just a fact. It's never stayed the same for very long. So let's revamp the field of 64. As such, there are 32 teams, there are 32 Division I conferences in college basketball. In my plan, every single conference gets a preliminary two bids into the league. That's before the season even starts. So you're automatically giving two in then? Not automatically. Hang on, we're not there yet. Okay. All conferences are slotted with two preliminary bids. 32 times 2 is 64. That's the field of 64 right there. You win your regular season, you're in. That rewards the best overall body of work over the course of a season. Whichever team has the best conference record over the course of a season is in. If you win your conference tournament, you're also in. That rewards the team that's playing hot at the right time. The team that goes on a run, wins three or four games in a row, wins the conference tournament. I got one for you then. Now, hang on, hang on. Now, if the same team wins both, Uh that opens up an at-large bid into the NCAA tournament. That was my question right there. So you've got the best team over the regular season, the best team right now in the conference tournament. If that happens to be the same team, bam, opens up an at-large spot. Now, every time I bring this up, people say, well, what if the team that won the regular season just tanks? So that the uh, so that the conference can get a second team in, I genuinely don't believe that's going to happen. Number one, you're screwing yourselves mm-hmm. by losing games and costing yourself seeding. That's dumb. No one's going to do that. But if you really believe, if you really believe that a team is going to intentionally lose a game right before the NCAA selection committee tells you where you're going and who you're going to play, then why not incentivize the team who wins the regular season? with tournament units or region preference. Could you say maybe three? Like so here's an instance, you know, you have the, the automatics for winning your conference or your conference tournament. Say example, uh the SOCON, Sanford, number one team in the conference. I think they're like twenty three and three. Say they win the regular season. Yep, they're in. They're in. Then comes the the conference and say uh what Chattanooga wins the conference. They're in. They're in. The tournament. But they're all, now, I know it's a long shot for Furman. However, say Furman is also a 20-win team. So you have three 20-win teams. Would you put all three of them in? No. Okay, why? No, because you weren't the best team in your league all season long. You weren't the best team come tournament time. Okay, I can see that. So those are the two surefire ways to get in. Win your regular season, win your conference tournament. Same team wins both, opens up an at-large. The benefits of doing it that way mm-hmm. is it makes every single Conference tournament compelling. Okay. If you're an ACC fan, don't you want to know if the Atlantic 10 is going to open up an at-large bid? Yeah. Don't you want to know if the Mountain West is going to open up an at-large bid? Don't you want to know if the Big South, the Big Sky, whoever, are going to open up at-large bids? It makes you watch every single tournament to know if they're giving up an at-large spot or not. Now, would you— That's entertaining as hell. Would you want to also, um, you know, there's the 60, I think it's what, 67 now or 68? 68. Would you want to increase that to like 92 we're perhaps? Not, we're not there yet. Okay. We're not there yet. So the benefits of this is it makes every single conference tournament compelling. It also removes the bias that negatively affects traditional one-bid leagues. Mm-hmm. It's so hard for any, any conference. Southern Conference is a, is a prime example of this. 
Furman would have done some damage in the years gone past when they did not win the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Thinking two years ago when they lost to UT Chattanooga on that insane what, half-court heave. Oh, yeah. Cost them the game. You're telling me that Furman team wouldn't have won an NCAA tournament team, a tournament game? They were fantastic that season. So it removes the bias that negatively affects the one-bid leagues. And then if you want to expand the tournament going forward, it's currally at 68. See, they did that. This, it's this little creep that just continually just grows just a little bit here and there. It's going to creep. It's going to creep up to 72 mm-hmm. at some point. So now we have eight play-in teams instead of four play-in teams. If you want to do that to add more play-in games – that's fine. That's fine. But you should reward the body of work over the course of a season and the team that's playing hot right here, right now, by getting them into the tournament. I agree. If after that you want to add in a middling ACC team because you think you're going to sell tickets, if, you know, a mediocre, not this year, but most years, Clemson, if you think Clemson's going to sell NCAA tournament tickets, great. Put them in a bracket mm-hmm. if you want to. I mean, they've already devalued the NIT to the point that nobody watches it anyway. So why not take those best teams that you're stuffing in the NIT and pull them into the NCAA tournament via at-large bids? Texter here says, Diesel, that's an elementary tournament concept. You're heavily penalizing teams who find themselves in a loaded conference. Texter, did you not just hear what I said? I said you can add at-large teams if you want, play in teams if you want, to get more and more of those teams. I'm telling you that an elite mid-major would beat a middle-of-the-pack ACC in the tournament more often than not. That's what I'm telling you. That's what I want to see. I want to see good teams in the tournament. I don't want to see mediocre ACC teams in there. I don't want to see mediocre Big 12 teams. I don't want to see teams who are going to get blown out by small teams. I want to see quality. Now look at this. There's some there's some actual research behind this. This isn't just an opinion. This isn't a want. There's there's data behind this. The best teams. I got the the highest seed to ever make different rounds of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they are small schools in traditional one bid tournament, the one one bid leagues. The highest rated seed to ever make the second round was a sixteen. Two of them did, as a matter of fact, UMBC and FDU. Small schools from one-bid leagues. The highest-seeded team to ever make the Sweet 16 has been a number 15. 2013, it was Florida Gulf Coast. 2021, it was Oral Roberts. 2022, it was St. Peter's. 2023, it was Princeton. All small schools, all from one-bid leagues. Mm -hmm. Highest-rated team, highest-seeded team to ever make the Elite Eight. Number 15, or uh, number 15, 2022, St. Peter's. Small school, one bid league. Worst team to ever make the Final Four. 1986, it was LSU. All these teams were number 11, by the way. 1986, LSU. 2006, George Mason. 2011, VCU. 28, Loyola of Chicago. 2021, UCLA. So in four out of those six situations, elite mid-major team. Four out of the six Lowest seeded teams to ever make the final four, elite mid majors. Highest seeded team to ever make the national championship. Now we're now we're getting you know deep, right? Eighty five Villanova, twenty eleven Butler, twenty fourteen Kentucky, twenty twenty two 
North Carolina. A couple of small schools, a couple of big schools. And then number eight seed, 1985, Villanova won the national championship. My point here is that elite mid-majors and smaller conference one-bid league teams do damage in the tournament. They do damage in the tournament. And I want more and more of those teams in the NCAA tournament. When we come back, we've got so much audio from the Super Bowl yesterday that we haven't had a chance to get to. You're going to hear play-by-play. You're going to hear players from both teams. You're even going to hear Tony Romo's tone-deaf ass sing along going into a commercial break. That's next here on Offsides.